بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى ما بعد so tonight's discussion inshallah we'll pick up from uh, where we left off last week we started off with kitab al iman just a discussion <coughs> on the term iman and some of the meanings and how it is related with islam so every 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 monday we see different individuals coming in some new joining, some leaving. Um, but the nature of the discussions is that they are very much related with the previous topics. So that is why if someone is intending to participate long term, then I would strongly recommend them to listen to the previous lectures as far as possible, inshallah, so they would have a sense of the continuity of the subject matter. With respect to Iman, inshallah, we want to continue uh, further discussions on this term. What is Iman and the definition of Iman? And what are the different opinions regarding the definition of Iman and with respect to Islam? And if we get to it, then we will come to the opposite of Iman, which is Takfir. And what are the principles of Takfir to declare someone a Kafir, which is a very, very dangerous thing indeed. And who is a Kafir and how does a person become a Kafir? The, uh, this is a well-known phenomena Sometimes the true understanding of a concept we get by studying the opposites So to understand Iman we also have to understand Kufr And it is not merely a theoretical exercise the, the takfir portion but it has a lot of implications because we have segments of the Ummah who are going on both extremes so we have those trigger-happy individuals who are uh, very quick in passing judgments of kufr against individuals uh, without due diligence. And if someone is committing any sin from their perspective as sin, um, going beyond calling that individual a sinner or fasiq, they may jump to takfir, which is a very major sin itself. Uh, and on the other hand, we may have uh, people who are so liberal in their approach, uh, and um, just like they um, have this concept of the relativity of truth, truth is relative, depends on you, your perspective. Um, you may have a physical uh, body Allah has given you, the physical reproductive system, and then you can choose to ignore that, and it's up to you to identify yourself whatever gender you like. And if someone identifies, self-identifies as a male, is a male, is a female, is a female. So likewise, taking the same concept to Islam. If they say, I'm a Muslim, they're a Muslim because they said so. Um, irrespective of what they believe or what they act. So this is the other extreme. Anyone says they're a Muslim, no matter what they believe in, they believe or disbelieve in. Just because they said they're a Muslim, they are a Muslim. How dare you say he's not a Muslim? He says he's a Muslim, so therefore he's a Muslim. So that's the other extreme. So that means that there is no set belief system to qualify as a Muslim. That if you sign on to the above, you're a Muslim. And if you disbelieve in the above, you're not a Muslim. That will become too rigid for them. They will say, hey, you know, you, why are you being so rigid about it? Just leave it up to the individual. Uh, whatever they identify as, self-identify, uh, go with that. So that's the other extreme. So what the reality is in the between. So that is the whole takfir discussion, which 
we may or may not get to depending on how far we move. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. So first thing is the term iman. Um, all of these terms that come in our deen from the Quran and from the Sunnah. These Arabic terms, Arabic being such a beautiful language, the language of the Quran, we will find all of the scholars when they are giving their dars and their teaching, uh, and any new term comes, they will give the definition of it. And they will give two definitions. One is a definition in the dictionary, which is, meaning, which is known as al-ma'na al-lughawi, the lughawi meaning. And second is the meaning of the word in the particular context that is being discussed. What is it from a terminology perspective? What's the terminological definition of Iman? So Iman has a root word, Alif, Mim, Noon, Aman. And anyone who has even an Urdu background, which is majority people, they know that Aman is safety and peace. And what does the word Iman mean? Uh, Iman means to give someone peace because it comes from a particular scale of if'al which means iman, the one who is giving aman and who is he giving aman to? he is giving aman so there is a being that the mu'min is believing in and when so there is a believer, he is a mu'min and there is the one who he is believing in in this case it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the one who has Iman, he is with his actions proving and he is telling, demonstrating, manifesting to the object of his belief that you are in Aman, that I will never disbelieve in you. Rather, and so you do not have to be afraid that I will be in a, from a literal sense. There's always a link between the literal meaning and the meaning in the terminology, in that particular context, known as al-ma'na al-istilahi. So, aman means peace. So the one who, who is believing, he is saying that I'm at peace, I will not engage in the war of disbelief. I will not reject you. So, you should know that from my side, there will be no sign of any disbelief. So this is the relationship between the word aman and iman there's one beautiful hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he takes a series of words which have their meaning in the terminology of sharia and then he goes back and he, he um, relates them back to literal uh, the meaning of the root word in the literal sense so we see that hadith he says nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said al muslimu من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ودي المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ودي سين لام ميم والمؤمن من أمينه الناس أمينه الناس على دمائهم وأموالهم والمهاجر من هاجر ما نهى الله عنه والمجاهد من جاهد نفسه في طاعة الله. so he mentioned these four terms. first he said المسلم a Muslim, of course, means the one who submits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the origin of the word salima means to be salim, safe. So he says, Al-Muslim, the true Muslim is the one. And over here, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is giving an alama of, of his Muslim. He's not defining a Muslim. The two things, one is a ta'rif, one is a ta'aruf. 
Ta'rif is a definition, Ta'aruf is an introduction or some alamat, some signs. So he says, Al-Muslimu, the true Muslim, this is a sign, an indication. Man salima al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadih. That other Muslims are safe from his tongue and from his hand. And then he says, Wal-Mu'minu, a true Mu'min is the one, Man aminahu nasu that people, they entrust him with and they feel safe by giving him in his, in his protection, in his custody, for him to take care of amwalim, their wealth, and dima'ahim, even their lives. So if a person has a mu'min neighbor, you will know that his property and his family, his wife and children will be safe because the mu'min is watching over them. And the muhajir, and then the common thread in this hadith is that he's taking terms which have distinctive meanings, going back and giving an alama and a sign uh, by using a verb which is, originates from the same root. Like muhajir, we know who a muhajir. Muhajir is the one who did hijrah for the sake of Allah, and we covered that for several weeks in the first hadith. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مِرِيمْ مَا نَوَى فَمَنْ كَانَتْ the first hadith we did that about the hijrah. So we know what a muhajir is. But over here, Nabi says, Al Muhajiru, the true muhajir, man hajra who does hijrah and leaves not only the watan but all of those actions that Allah has forbidden. So the true muhajir is the one who leaves the actions that Allah has forbidden. So he takes the concept of tarkul watan, leaving the watan, the homeland, and he's saying, no, he's leaving the sins. And then he said, al-mujahid. Mujahid is the one who's fighting. We would say, oh, the mujahid is the one in the field defending Islam, fighting against the enemies. But Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, al-mujahid, the, the true mujahid, man jahada nafsahu, who does jihad against his nafs. Wal-mujahidu man jahada nafsahu fi ta'atillah, in the obedience of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So Iman means that the mu'min, the one who has Iman, he is giving aman to the one whom he believes in, that as far as rejection is concerned, you can have aman, I will never be rejecting you. And in the Sharia, what does it mean? It means tasdiq. Tasdiq bi jami'i ma jabihi nabi To have the firm conviction in the truth of the message conveyed to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Now, this term tasdiq and there's another term takdeeb tasdiq we say means to believe and takdeeb means to disbelieve but again if you look at the root word what does sidqun mean sidqun means truth and the one who is the truthful is sadiq like the title of rasulullah in the seerah we know when before prophethood he was known as asadiq al-ameen so who is the sadiq person the truthful person sidq means to speaking uh, to speak the truth so when you make tasdiq of someone this term tasdiq, we have come across it perhaps since childhood. We say, Amantu billahi kamahu bi asma'ihi wa sifati wa qabiltu jamia ahkamihi. Then we say, Iqraran bil lisan wa tasdiqan bil qalb. Iqraran bil lisan means we testify with the tongue. And tasdiqan bil qalb means we believe from the heart. So we translate as tasdiq as believing. And we translate takdeeb as disbelieving. But in reality, what tasdiq means is that. And so if I am doing tasdeeq of the brother, then what I'm saying is, you have made a claim, now I have two options. I can say you are speaking the truth, or I can say you are lying. If I say you are speaking the truth, I have done your tasdeeq. And if I say that you are lying, then I have done your takdeeq. 
So, so when I say you have, when I reach the conclusion and I proclaim that you have spoken the truth, sadaqta, you have, you are sadiq. I just done your tasdiq. That means I'm believing in what you're saying. And if if you made a claim and then I said that, no, you are kaadib. You have just done kid. You are a liar. You have lied. Therefore, I've just done takdeeb. So that's the literal meaning of tasdiq and takdeeb. So when I do tasdiq of someone, I'm declaring they are sadiq, they're truthful. When I do takdeeb of someone, I'm declaring they're kaadib, they're a liar. Effectively believing and disbelieving. So the, um, the reality of iman is that that there is a mukhbir, there is a narrator who went and saw and he heard and he received revelation. And that mukhbir is sadiqul amin, the truthful, trustworthy individual. And what we do is, when we hear the khabar from him, the news from him, then we all we make his tasdiq, meaning we say that you are sadiq, you are true in what you claim. And you are not a liar. And you are not forging this, you are not coming up with this. You're not um, imagining this. Rather, you are a true nar- narrator of that which you have seen, and you are conveying that message to us. The reality of Iman, what it all boils down to. So th- th- this is a term that comes in the Aqidah books. Why do we believe in this concept or that? We'll say, Akhbar bihi, you know, or Mukhbir al-Sadiq al-Ameen. The true, truthful, trustworthy narrator has related to us thus. So therefore, we close our eyes and we believe. We do investigation, we do our due diligence in, first of all, determining is he a truthful prophet of Allah or not. Then we reach the conclusion he is the true prophet of Allah. Then we do the due diligence to determine is this truly what he said or not. Then we find out this is truly what he said. So that, then the thabut, as we're going to come to that now, qatiru thabut. Is thabut meaning is this transmitted from him or somebody made this up? Is there some fabricator in the chain or not. So we did that due diligence that this is actually what he said. Then third, we do the due diligence that is this what it means or not? Because it could be what he said, but then there could be a difference of opinion about or confusion regarding the meaning, application of it. Is, does it the implications of the statement, does it uh, really give the following meaning or not? So then when it is proven that it has been proven he is a true messenger of Allah and it has been proven this exactly what he said and it has been proven this exactly what it means then there is no room for denial of that and denial of it after that is actually what takzeeb is and takzeeb is kufr and tasdeeq is iman is that, too, is that complicated? everyone got it? try to keep it simple not um Simple, okay. So, uh, so then now we have, um, uh, what is, uh, uh, so we said that Iman is tasdiq, believing the truth, that, the, that he is true. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, like if you go back to some of the, <coughs> yani, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam of course is a master teacher, very simple scene, we glossed over it, we went over it, not only as a student in studying sirah, or in teaching our kids sirah in Sunday Madrasa, or in daily maktab, or whatever. But look at that scene where he's at the vantage point on the top of the mountain, way in the beginning on the, when he proclaims his da'wah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that you must invite the people of Makkah, all of them. First, you, when you see the revelation, he was very quiet, pondering, reflecting. The whole Ya'yuh al-Muzzammil, Mudassir was happening, wrapping himself in the blanket, 
the Hadith of the Kubra Radhanaha is giving him that consolation. We covered that long hadith in Badul Wahi, the beginning of Revelation. Then uh, the command came, Warn your near family members. So he called the Banu Hashim and he gave that feast. Do you remember from Sirah? He gave the big da'wah, the party. He invited them all and everyone ate. They thought it was a great party. After that, he gave the da'wah and he invited them. And he said that Allah has chosen me to be his prophet. And, uh, la ilaha illallah. Who will join me in this mission? Everyone got up and got upset. And then Ali radiallahu anhu felt bad. And he said, I was so weak, I was so young. And, I, and he stood up and he said, I have weak legs and I'm, I'm just a young boy, but no one is on your side, I'm with you, Ya Rasulullah. Right. Then after that, the command came, لِتُنذِرَ أُمَّ الْقُرَى وَمَنْ حَوْلَهَا Your responsibility is to invite the people of Mecca. Ummul الْقُرَى means, Qariyatun is a town, Qura are towns. Ummul al-Qura, the mother of all towns. The mother of all towns, the mother of all cities, because the Mecca is the mother of all cities. You know, sometimes they say, oh, it's the center of the earth. Somebody would argue, wait a second, isn't the earth a sphere? So which point is the center? Just because you like it, you call it the center? Any point could be the center. Any point from any way, if you rotate it, is the center. Because there's no top or, I mean, there, even a top and bottom is relative. Which one's top, which one's bottom? Which one's east, which one's west? I mean, any point on the latitude or longitude could be potentially a center, depending on which way you look at it. You understand the concept of a ball? Any point could be a center of a ball, right? Everyone with me? It's like uh, basic, I don't even know if this is geometry, it's before geometry, basic sense, common sense. So any point could be a middle. So why do you say the Kaaba is the middle? In fact, the word Kaab, Kaaba, Kaab means to protrude. So the ankle bone is called Kaab. Like in the ayat of Wudu, Allah Ta'ala says, Ya amanu, those who believe, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاءِ إِذَا أَرَدْتُمْ الْقِيَامِ إِلَى الصَّلَاءِ When you intend to perform salah, فَغْسِلُوا وَجُوهَكُمْ Wash your faces. وَيَدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ Wash your hands and arms up to you and including your elbows. وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُسِكُمْ Make masa of your head. وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ And your, wash your feet. إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ So Ka'bain. What's the Ka'b? Ankles. Ka'bain, two ankles. One ankle in each foot. For if you have it, and if it's amputated, you don't have to. The foot is there, the kaab is there, you have to. So the kaab is the ankle. So the kaab is that, kaab means to protrude. So when Allah Ta'ala created the earth, uh, the, the, this planet had water, the first piece of earth that popped out was where the Kaaba is. And from there the earth spread. And going back to why is it the center of the earth is because even our geologists and the, the study of the earth and the crust and the movement of the uh, of the plates, tectonic plates, and study the earthquakes, they tell us what? Pangaea, the whole earth was what? One continent, right? If you look at a, uh, the map of the world, it's like a puzzle. So you see eastern, eastern side of South America, the Brazil, it goes straight into West Africa as a puzzle piece, right? North America joins with Europe. They all, it was all together. So when it was all one continent, then with that continent, one grand continent, before it was split up and the plates shifted and the, and the continents shifted. Am I getting too crazy, you understand? Where was the center of that one continent? Where the Kaaba is. So that's why it's called Ummul Qura, the mother of all cities. And Allah Ta'ala says, first was in warm your, warn your family. Then second was, لِتُنذِرَ أُمَّ Qura, You have to warn the city of Makkah. So Nabi Wasallam was given the Nubuwa for the city of Makkah. Just like the previous prophets were, some of them. 
Allah Ta'ala mentioned about Yunus alayhi salam that uh, about Yunus alayhi salam um, uh, that he was sent ila mi'ati alfin to a hundred thousand citizens of the city of Nainawa so he was sent as a Nabi only to the city of Nainawa near Musil in Iraq so likewise Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's is only to Umm Al-Qura then after that the next ayat came قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ جَمِيعًا Say, O oh, mankind, I have been sent as a messenger of Allah to all of you. So when he came to the uh, family level, he invited his family, he gave them da'wah. Then when he came to the city level, then he went on the mountain. Right? And then he made the announcement. Again, this has a literal meaning and it has a terminological meaning. I'm the warner. Uryan. Literally, you know, Uryan comes from Ma'ari, which means naked. I'm the naked warner. So this type of things we see in the media, astaghfirullah, or we read on the news, hopefully you're not seeing it, but we read about it, is that when they go on different protests, to call attention, something like, could be as absolutely not related as, um, I don't know, uh, uh, to, uh, to call attention to the plight of some refugees. Then these protesters, they go, jahil protesters of this dunya, of the, there's the original jahiliyyah, and then there's the jahiliyyah of today. They, they strip naked, right? And then they're saying, oh, this is a protest for, um, it could be a very worthy cause, like Rohingyas, or the, or the oppression happening in Palestine, or oppression happening here, or to create awareness of, uh, you know, breast cancer research, or something like that. We need to work on, you know, developing cure for autistic children. So they're stripping naked. What's the ta'allu? Just to attract? attention. So in the Jahiliyyah, this practice of today is coming straight from the Jahiliyyah of the Arabs, the original practice. So if there was someone who needed to call attention to his announcement, just to get everyone's attention. Na'udhu Billah, they would strip naked on the top and then they would scream. Just like it happened in the battle of uh, of Badr uh, when uh, Abu Sufyan later, when he heard, he saw that Nabi Wasallam is coming to take uh, the, the proceeds of their caravan. He did the forensic study. He had spies and they looked, they went to one of the wells and in the middle of the desert, the wells are where the water sources in the caravans would stop. And they saw the dung of the camel and they did the forensic study, they studied that and in the dung of the camel, they saw the seeds of the dates of yesterday, Medina. They said, oh, the people of Medina are in the area. So then he went to escape. He went to the Red Sea on the coast, and he sent a warner to Makkah. So he went into Makkah, he took, tore, tore off his clothes, then he cut, he cut the nose and the ears, unnecessary mutilation of his camel, and he started screaming, just to attract attention. Oh, people of Makkah, all your investment is going to be destroyed. Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the, this is the 313, Badr. They are going to take all of your investments. So Abu Jahal and everyone got ready, and 1000 came, the battle of Badr took place. So likewise, this is how they would make the announcement. So here, Rasulullah was he? that's the literal meaning of Uriyan. Was he na'udhu billah Uriyan? Absolutely not. He was fully clothed naturally. He never committed any major sin or minor sin before or after prophethood. So he said, Uriyan. I am the naked warner. But, but he was not naked. That means I'm a warner. And then the people gathered. And then, uh, now he physically demonstrated his position by standing on the top of a mountain. And he asked them, you know the story. This is a reminder from years ago, perhaps you read this, uh, or recently you may have reviewed with your children. When he was standing on the top of the mountain, he asked them that, oh people, uh, 
if I am going to tell you from where I'm, my vantage point, right? I can see behind and I can see in front. Can you see behind the mountain? No. I can see behind the mountain, yeah. I can see both sides. So if I tell you that there's an army ready to strike upon you, would you believe me? They all in one voice said, you are the Sadiq al-Ameen. So then he said, okay, uh, I'm warning you that there's a grave punishment coming. If you do not say, Say la ilaha illallah, that will be your means of salvation. So at that point, Abu Lahab, he cursed Nabi Sallallahu and he earned the curse of Allah ila yawmil qiyamah, till the day of judgment. He said, tabban laka, alihada jama'atana, may you be cursed, have you gathered us for this waste of time? And then Allah revealed the ayah, tabbat yada Abi Lahab. So, he says, no, so that, that, that's it. Just go back. Whenever you hear something from the Sunnah of Rasulullah, the order of Rasulullah, well, there's the form of Quran and Sunnah. Quran is, where did we got the Quran from? Did you download it directly in your heart from Allah, from Allah Mahfuz, or through Rasulullah? Through Rasulullah. So whenever you hear any ayah of the Quran, it's through Rasulullah. Whenever you hear any hadith, it's through Rasulullah. That's why Imam Bukhari started the whole book with what? Kitabul Badal Wahi, even before Iman. Because Iman is based on? Wahi. Everything is based on Wahi. So this ilm of Wahi, we just remind ourselves that Subhanallah, it was Rasulullah who Allah selected and he uh, uh, witnessed these things in Mi'raj and he heard these things, he saw these things and the rest of it was revealed unto him. He had haqqul yaqeen with respect to certain things, he experienced. He had ilmul yaqeen, he had aynul yaqeen, he saw certain things and he had ilmul yaqeen, he was informed of certain things, right? There's three levels of yaqeen. What's the first level? Ilmul yaqeen. You have knowledge of it. Uh, so you have a knowledge. You you you, you um, read about um, the the painful. You read about how, like for example, um, uh, maybe like someone is studying nursing. So she heard. She she studied about. Um, okay. So this is how much pain a woman uh, undergoes in labor, but she never experienced it. Unmarried young girl or student. Then what happens? Um, SubhanAllah, she engages in helping a woman in labor. So she now she has Ayn al-Yaqeen. She saw it. Wow, it is a very painful process. Right? With, until you get the epidural or without the epidural. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, then the third one is uh, uh, if when she becomes a mother, what happens? She's experiencing it. That is what Haqqul Yaqeen. Wow, this is so painful. So there's ilm al yaqeen is to have knowledge of it. Then there's ilm al yaqeen, and then there's haqqul. Can a male, by definition, as we originally defined and understood throughout the centuries up to current times, he could never have haqqul yaqeen about this one, because he he may study it and he may have observe it, but he can never experience it. So Rasulullah sallallahu with respect to what he conveyed to us, some of the things he experienced, some of the things he saw, and some of the things he had knowledge of through Jibreel alayhi salam. And that is what he's conveying to us. And basically, we trust him to be a truthful narrator. He's not intentionally going to lie, nor is he going to exaggerate, nor is he going to forget, nor is he going to put his nafs in it and change the message. Because he's sadiq, he's ameen. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's what the basic reality of iman is. Okay. So, uh, what does a person uh, have to believe in for it to be considered iman? He has to believe in that which is definitely a part of the deen. 
Uh, and the reason this becomes important is there are people at different levels who are rejecting different parts of the deen. So we can believe in everything is good. That's, everything that's right and nice and good to believe in, we should believe in all. That's a very simple approach. But if you want, if we have to become a bit more technical, that which, how many things is it absolutely necessary you must believe in? And when we say that, what that means is that if you disbelieve in it, you will be out of the fold of Islam. And if you believe in it, it's necessary to, for you to believe in it to be a mu'min. Disbelieving it will take you out of the fold of Islam. And this becomes important when you have all the different sects and groups and firaq and, and different types of deviations. And we are navigating through all this huge quagmire, this mess, this confusion. And we, and we have to d- figure out, you know, who are true Muslims and who are not. So that's why we will say that for a person, for him to have iman and to be considered a mu'min, they must believe in those things which are 100% confirmed part of the deen. It's called ma'alun fi deen bil durura. Dururatan, most necessarily everyone understands it's part of the deen. And this has been defined in different ways. One way this has been defined is that it is something that is proven through tawatur. And this is a key term, tawatur. Tawatur is meaning through, uh, um, throughout the centuries it has been proven not through one or two people but through a large, large chain. This tawatur can take four forms. Tawatur is generation after generation. It is very, very strongly proven that this is what Allah wants, this is what Rasulullah said, or this is part of the deen. It is not a, a, a strange idea. It is not something which is unheard of or very few people have narrated. It is something proven by a large number. So one is tawatur fil isnad, number one, through sanad. Meaning, there, are, there is a hadith of Rasulullah that there is a chain of narrators going back all the way to Rasulullah. Then there's a second chain of narrators going back, third chain of narrators going back, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. So many different chains. How many different chains there are? So many that it's reasonable to conclude that all of them couldn't come up with the same lie. Okay. Um, all of them couldn't have logically come up with the same lie. Now, how much is that number? There are different opinions, but the strongest opinion is 10. Right. Some of the, I believe, have taken the Usul al-Hadith class, so you cover this in much detail. Right. In the Tafim class, there's Usul al-Hadith, Hadith terminology class. You cover this in way more detail, Mulana Farhan Sharif and other Hadith one. Uh, so, but in, for, for the purpose of this discussion here, we will say that 10. Now what happens is which 10, um, finding in the second or third or fourth generation 10 is very, very easy. Because what's going to happen is that the number of narrators in every generation is going to increase, typically, with few exceptions. It's logically, it makes sense. Say, for example, there's only one Sahabi who happened to be present with Rasulullah when an incident occurred. So you're not going to have 10 Sahaba narrating it. How many Sahaba? One. Like Abu Bakr is with Rasulullah in the cave. Some incident happens in the cave. So how many Sahaba are narrating the incident? One, because there was only one there. But then, do you think uh, afterwards, during his Khilafah, how many people he had contact with? How many times he was giving khutbah? He was a Mirul Mu'mineen, or is he was the Khalifa to Rasulullah. He was a successor to Rasulullah. The Mirul Mu'mineen title came later in the Khilafat of Umar. So he was never called a Mirul Mu'mineen his entire life. That, so when you go to say Salam in the Roda, 
you say assalamu alaykum ya rasul allah ya habib allah ya shafi'a al-muslimin etc then the next one you say assalamu alaykum ya khalifata rasulillah or the successor to the prophet abu bakr we don't say amir mu'minin he was amir mu'minin for, for sure but we, he was never called that and then uh, because the title came up later i covered this story before does anyone remember no because khalifa huh I covered this story. It's an interesting side story. He was called Khalifa the Rasulullah, the successor to the Prophet. So then when Umar came up, then his title was Khalifa to Khalifati Rasulullah, initially. The successor to the successor of the Prophet. The Khalifa to Khalifati Rasulullah. Tatabu Ali So many Mulamadafilay, so many triple possession. So he Khalifa of the Khalifa of the Rasul of Allah. So that title was there, and then uh, obviously people understood that this is very cumbersome, and it's only going to get what? More cumbersome. The next one is going to be Khalifa to Khalifati, Khalifati Rasulullah. How long are you going to continue this? So then, then, this, then uh, they were sitting down, they were making, they said, let's have a mashwara. What do we should change the name to? So they're sitting having a mashwara. Somebody gave, you know, an uh, opinion. Um, Qaidul Muslimin. Someone said, you know, uh, Imamul Muttaqin. Someone came. Different, different ideas. And they were discussing the pros and cons. Then, Amr ibn As, Fatih Misr, he was uh, invited by Umar al for a particular matter. He just galloped in from, the, like from Misr, from Egypt, from Africa, all the way he was galloping on his horse. He just arrived in Medina, and then he went right up to Mazinabui because he had to appointment with the Khalifa to Khalifa to Rasulullah. So when, when he came there, he came, he jumped off his horse at the outside in the parking lot, tied his horse. Then he asked the guards, the Khadim, the volunteers, Ansar. He said that um, he was just in the mood, so just completely randomly he said, please take me to the Amirul Mu'minin. He just came up with that. So the guard said, oh, that sounds nice. So then he went there and he said, Amr bil As from Egypt came and he's seeking an audience with Amirul Mu'minin. So the mashura was actually taking place at that moment. Everyone said, that has such a nice ring to it. Sounds so nice. Amir Mu'minin, chalo, let's go with that one. So that's how the Amir Mu'minin came. SubhanAllah. So there's one person in the, in the cave, Abu Bakr Zanum. But when he is now the Khalifa of Rasulullah, giving his khutbah, how many people he has contact with? Lots of people. So do you think it's typical only one person will narrate hadith from him or more? More. So say you have... 15 people narrate from Abu Bakr Those 15 tabi'un, they have contacts with Tabu Tabi'un. So if, any, if every one of them, 1 to 15, now if 15, if they have 15, even if they don't have 15, if they have 10 who narrate from them, so 15 times 10, the next generation will be how many? 150. And from that, it will only increase every generation. The number of narrators of that incident will increase. But so in a mutawatir, it is that in any generation you should have minimum of 10. So that means Sahaba, have to be, they have to be 10 Sahaba. 10 Sahaba narrating hadith. And then the next generation, do you think they will be less than 10? No, it's going to be more. And then the next generation will be more. So the, the, the definition of a mutawatir hadith is that in every generation there is a minimum of 10 Sahaba. And the level of something that is proven from a mutawatir hadith is as if you are sitting in front of Rasulullah and you're hearing it directly from his lips. And how many chains between you and Rasulullah? Zero. 
He is ordering you, he is addressing you, and he's saying, Oh, Ummati of mine, you better do this. The level of how uh, much um, emphasis there would be in that command, and the level of the authority of that command on you, that you cannot doubt it, dodge it, escape it, he's talking to you directly, that's the level of effect of a mutawatir hadith. How many there are? Very few. There are not too many that are mutawatir hadith. Amongst them is, incidentally, since we're talking about hadith, مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّ مَقَعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever knowingly attributes something false to me and says, I said something which I did not say, then let him prepare his abode in the fire. This hadith is an example of mutawatir. So this is the first type of mutawatir, where you have a sanad, you have the names. Second type of tawatir is tawatir fit tabaqa. Tabaqa means a whole generation after generation after generation. For example, the Quran. So the Quran, um, we, we do have individual sanads too. Like when we have the khatam of the khirat sabah, khirat ashara, the students finish, even khirat hafs, we give the sanad back to, through the students, to their teachers, all the way to the Imam of the Qirat, Imam Hafs ibn Sulaiman, Imam Asim Kufi, all the way to his teacher, all the way to Osman ibn Affan and Zayd ibn Thabit and um, Zayd ibn Thabit and Osman ibn Affan, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, these Qurra of the Sahaba, and from them to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Jibreel Amin to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is if you count all the sanads together, that would be tawatur sanad. But if you say there's so many that it's like a whole generation has learned the Quran from the next generation. And the next generation of the next generation. Every, like, it was prevalent in the whole generation. Then that is known as tawatur of the tabaqa. Without even having to go down and literally count the chains. So for an average Muslim, he doesn't, he may not have learned the Quran through a chain. He doesn't have a silsila of teachers going back to Rasulullah But for him, the Quran is also mutawatir, even though he doesn't have a chain. Why? Because there were so many hafad, so many transmitters of the Quran in every single generation. That's called tawatir and tabaqa. This is something that is verbal, qawl. Number three is tawatir fit ta'amul. Ta'amul means practically, amal-wise, this is proven generation upon generation in huge numbers, so great numbers that you cannot deny it, have been practically implementing this in their lives. And generation from generation have been carrying this legacy. That's, that's called tawatur fit ta'amul. Like for example, how many salat in the day, right? There's five salats in a day. So um, establishing salat is in the Quran, aqimu salat. But and there is an indication, ishara towards the five. Aqimu salat al-duluki shamsi la ghasqil layl, and fatahajjud bi nafilatan lak. You know, there are some indication of the five timings, but explicitly the fajr is this time to this time, zohar is this time to this time, asr, maghrib, isha. The mawakit of the salat, the timings of the salat, of five per day, and which are their timings is mentioned in the hadith. Um, the Quran says that. You must perform the salah in the given times. So to be punctual in the times is mentioned in the Quran. But what those times are, the explicit discussion is not in the Quran. It's in hadith. And the hadith is actually khabar wahid. It's not mutawatir. 
Sanadan. Like it's not category number one, Sanadan. But what is, it is still mutawatir. And rejection of five times salat a day is kufr. How so? Because it is number three, tawatir fit ta'amul. Ta'amul means amalan. There is no dispute that every generation from Sahaba to Tabi'un, from Tabi'un to Tabut Tabi'un, from Tabi'un to Tabi'un onwards, practically the entire Ummah always had a consensus that they were performing how many salat a day? Five salat a day. So you don't have to start investigating the Sanad of it at this point, because it is beyond that. It is proven through Tawatur of Amal, practical. And the fourth type is a tawatur in fil qadri al-mushtarak. Fil qadri al-mushtarak means mm, uh, that which is a common denominator. Like when Mirza Ghulam Ahmad from Qadian, he declared, he made many de- uh, declarations. He kept on changing his mind. First he said, I'm Masih, alayhi salam, Isa. Then he said, no, I'm Imam Mahdi. Then third he said, he's a Nabi. So, when he was claiming to be Masih alayhi salam, Allama Anwar Kashmiri rahmatullah alayhi, he wrote a book uh, refuting Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, this false prophet, false messiah. And it is known as At-Tasriyah fi ma tawatara an nuzul al-Masih. So that's the basic title of the book. What he talks about in there is that Masih alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, the fact that he is going to return, there are so many different ahadith about it. In different ahadith about him returning, each one of those hadith individually with the detail about how he will kill Dajjal or he will arrive in Dimashq by the, the eastern minaret and then, you know, how his hair will be, you know, the water will be dripping off his hair like freshly just to come out of a shower and then what he will say and what he will do and how he will kill Dajjal and and Imam Mahdi's conversation with him and you'll see Imam Mahdi, no, you are the Imam and my job, I have a single mission to kill this Dajjal all of those different hadiths that are out there uh, uh, not just out there, they're in the hadith literature, right? they're mentioned Sahih hadith, Hassan hadith, different categories each one is a khabar wahid, they're individually not mutawatir but the common denominator, if you put them all together is how, what part of it is common between all these hadiths? the fact that Isa is coming so there's so many ahadith about Isa Islam coming. The details of them, you cannot say each detail is proven through Tawatar. But the bottom line that he's coming is proven through Tawatar. You understand? So is Isa Islam coming back? Or can, or can we say that this guy is Isa Islam or someone else is Isa Islam? Or the actual Isa Islam is going to come back? We see the actual Isa Islam is going to come back. If someone says, do I really need to believe that to be a Muslim or not? That's the question. Or maybe I don't want to believe that, Billah. He says, no, you need to believe that. If I don't believe that, will I be a kafir? Is it necessary to believe that? Yes. Why? Is it proven through tawatir? Yes. What type of tawatir? Through tawatir of Qadr al-Mushtarak. There's so many different hadith. Each one individually is not mutawatir from a Sanad perspective. You don't have a, one hadith where you have 10 narrators talking about the whole detail. But you have way more than 10. You have like at the level of like 40, 50, 60, 80 hadith, different hadith, talking about Isa salam coming, and the common thread between them, the common denominator between all of them is that he is returning. So the fact that he is returning is proven through Tawatr. Is that, is that understandable?
Right, so that is called tawatur and qadr mushtarak. So, um, so something which is definitely part of the deen, believing in it is necessary and rejecting it would lead to kufr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us the correct understanding. Now, this is with respect to its transmission to us. This is all about thabut. So this is known as qat'iyu thabut. Its transmission is confirmed. Its transmission is confirmed. The fact that it came from Rasulullah to us is proven through tawatr. At the same time, for iman on it to be followed and for rejection of it to be kufr, the meaning, the dalala, it should be qat'iyu dalala. It should be, there should be no doubt about its meaning. So there are ayats in the Quran. The Quran, all the Quran is mutawatir. There's no question, is it mutawatir or not mutawatir? For the hadith, we, can, we have to investigate which one is mutawatir which one is not. But the entire Qur'an is mutawatir. Now, there are different ayahs in the Qur'an from which different rulings are derived. If it's something very openly, explicitly derived from the Qur'an, if a person rejects that, that would be kufr. But if there's something proven from the Qur'an in which, you know, ishtihad was required, and they, the meaning was not so clear, uh, there's a word that has multiple meanings. Some scholars say it's this meaning, some scholars say that meaning. So if a person rejects one meaning and he takes another meaning, then will that be kufr? That's not kufr. Even though it's an ayah of the Quran. So, Now, uh, one example that we give, but that, that example would be very, very long, drawn out story to explain that whole. There's, there's ayats about idda, there's ayats about miras, there's ayats about ahkam of talaq, ahkam of, uh, you know, different rulings in the Quran that in which there's an ishtihadi difference of opinion. Different mufassirun have approached it in different ways. So, if a person, if he, he takes one opinion, doesn't take the other opinion, it cannot be termed as as kufr, because this, this is such an ayah that is open to interpretation. Um, we had talked about last week the relationship between Iman and Islam. Summary of that was what? Islam is outward compliance and Iman is inner belief. And um, a, a person who has outward compliance has Islam but doesn't have Iman, what is he known as? Munafiq. And the one who has Iman in his heart but is not having Islam practice is known as a Fasiq. And the one who has Iman belief in his heart and Islam outer practice both is a true Mu'min, Muhsin, Muttaqi. Now, what is the uh, role of Iqrar bil lisan, testifying with the tongue? We said the purpose of testifying with the tongue is so that a person can be recognized as a Mu'min. That's the purpose of that. If a person has Iman in his heart and he's practicing, he may be a righteous individual, but the world will not know he is a mu'min until he testifies. That's the purpose of testification. Um, there were different groups in the past that came up with different definitions of iman. And the reason this is important to note is we can see why, uh, how people went astray and how we need to protect ourselves from going astray. Um, there was one group 
in the past known as the Khawarij. And the history of the Khawarij is, is really fascinating, really bloody history. They, are the, they started off in the era of Ali radiallahu anhu. And Khawarij comes from the word Kharaja to go out. Like Khuruj fi sabillah, going out in the path of Allah. But these were, they did not go out in the path of Allah. They left Kharaja. They came out from the army of Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu. And they were rebels against Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu. The one who actually assassinated Ali radiallahu anhu was a Kharji, Abdurrahman ibn Muljim. And they tried to assassinate Muawiyah radiallahu anhu and Amr bin Asr radiallahu anhu. They were anarchists. They didn't believe in anarchy. They believed in anarchy. No system of government. No Khalifa. No Amir Mu'minin. They took an eye of the Quran. In al-Hukmu, illa lillah. All authority rests with Allah alone, not with any human being. How are you supposed to uh, have order on earth and have any system without laws governing and a governor and an Amir and Mamur? They didn't believe in that. Very ajib people. Um, so. Currently, the modern form of ISIS that we have and these terrorist scholars, not just because they sounds nice or there are many parallels they do draw, it's only after studying the Khawarij and their mentality and studying the current ideologies of these fundamentalist people, then we can see the links. So we have the original Khawarij that's beyond the scope of today, their history, their development, their whole aqaid. Um, and then we have the modern day Khawarij. Just like on the opposite side, we have the Mu'tazila. We have the original Mu'tazila. These are the, those are the barbarian, bloodthirsty people, the Khawarij. And the opposite side, we have the Mu'tazila. These were so-called intellectual people who were influenced by the Greek logic. They have their own ajib history. I don't want to say fascinating history. It's dark history of deviant sects. But it's interesting how they developed. And then we have the new, they call it like the new Mu'tazilites, or the current Mu'tazilites. They are our so-called progressive movement within Islam who are completely destroying the Sharia. So they are the descendants of the Mu'tazilis of the past. And so there is the extreme left. And the Khawarij are the extreme right, if that makes sense. If from Like we divide, you know, in, in politics you have the right and the left. In economics you have the right and the left. Right. So the haqiqat is in between. We're centrists. Right? Uh, so so um, the um, Mu'tazil and Khawarij, they, they, inc- they said, you know, you have these three things. You have tasdiq bil janan, believing in the heart. And you have iqrar bil lisan, testifying with the tongue. And you have amal bil arkan, doing the actions with the body. So they made the amal bil arkan, acting with the body parts, part of iman. And what happened is, if a person does righteous deeds as part of iman, and if he if he makes a sin, if he commits a sin, sorry, if he commits a sin or murtakibul kabira commits a sin, then he he would be expelled from the fold of Islam. And when he's expelled from the fold of Islam, he becomes a murtad. And when he becomes a murtad, it is permissible to kill him. So this is how the Khawarij, who apparently were so super hardcore, extreme orthodox as people have defined them. But what, no, what's, what does orthodox mean? Normally orthodox is to follow the sharia, so ortho, being orthodox is good. But these people are, are going beyond the sharia in so-called orthodox, pseudo-orthodox, that they, uh, how do they just, they're like, they would be reading Quran day and night, and they would apparently be following the sunnah, apparently doing dhikr, apparently doing ibadah. That's a confusing thing. 
about the khawarij. When you look at the worship of the ibadah, the khawarij, they're so punctual in their tahajjud. Fasting, like every other day, nobody can pray more tahajjud than them. Nobody can recite more Quran than them. Right? They're reciting so much Quran. As Nabi Wasallam had prophesied about their ibadah. Their ibadah is, no one can touch it. But uh, at the same time, they're killing people, bloodthirsty, assassinating people, killing the khalifas. How do they... <laughs> How do they combine the two? Just like the Khawarij of today, the ISIS of today. Oh, apparently you look at them, they look like, oh, it's so religious. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and all these guys, right? They're not religious, they look religious. That's the confusing nature of Khawarij. Now the way they justified killing all the people is they will say that they are murtads, they are apostates. And how do they become apostates? Because uh, there's infinite number of reasons they become apostates. Simple thing is any major sin they commit. As soon as they commit a major sin, they are the full of Islam. Why? Because when you're defining this Iman, they define Iman with all three parts are necessary. Tasdiq bil jinan, believing in the heart, testifying with the tongue, and amal bil arkan, actions. So th this is the confusing part of amal, actions. Actions are part of Iman, yes, but at what point? I mean, how much of it is it? It's a part, but is it a necessary part or an additional part? That's where they have the term of juz uh, asli or the juz of tazin to beautify. They give example like of the tree. There's the roots of the tree is your tasdiq, and your iqrar bilisan testifying is the trunk, and the fruits and the flowers. That's the amal. So if the amal is not there, fruits are not there, flowers are not there. It's um, fall or winter time. Is it still a tree? It's still a tree because the trunk is there and the roots are there. So the iqrar is there and the tasdiq is there. Sometimes the amal will be more in summer, sometimes it will be less in fall, sometimes it will be gone in winter. But it's still a tree. So just like for a human being, you, you need the vital organs and then you have you know additional finger may be cut. Allah gave two kidneys, one may be functional, one may not. So there are necessary ingredients and there are additional ingredients, right? Additional components, necessary components. So tasdeeq is the most important necessary component. Iqrar is also important from a worldly perspective. And amal will increase and decrease. It's part of iman, but not a necessary part of iman to the extent that if there is a deficiency in the amal, you immediately expel the person from the fold of Islam. That's what the khawarij did. That's what the Mu'tazila did. The Khawarij expelled him from the fold of Islam and said he's kafir, entered him into kufr. The Mu'tazila stopped halfway. They said he's not a mu'min anymore. But they didn't make takfir. They said he's halfway. He's called manzilatun bainal manzilatain. He's, one, he's, in a, he's suspended between iman and kufr. In some imaginary world they came up with. Whereas what do we say? We say no. A person, as long as he has tasdeeq and there is deficiency in his amal, he will still be a Muslim, a mu'min, he has iman. And a person who has deficiency in his amal, he may enter Jahannam, but he will never have khulud finnar, eternity in fire. Khulud finnar, eternally burning in the fire of Jahannam, is reserved for only those who do not have iman. And iman means having belief. So there's two things. One is dukhul finnar and one is khulud finnar. Entering the fire and eternally being in the fire. So um, if a person has weakness in amal, they may have to enter the fire. 
A person who has weakness in amal, there's two options. Allah may choose to forgive him, Allah may choose to punish. If he punishes, he may punish for as long as he deems necessary, as a kafara for all the sins, but eventually that person will enter Jannah. And the one who does not have iman at all will enter fire for eternity. So um, this is where the khawarij said, no, no, no. If a person does not have his amal, he missed one salah intentionally, he became a murtad, you can kill him, chop his head off. That's what they were doing, killing people, murdering people, and super practicing at the same time. Because they, were, they literally were practicing. With, minus this murdering everyone else, take that out of the picture for a moment, everything else they were doing fine. Why? Because if they would miss their fajr or tahajjud, any namaz, what would happen? They'd be killed themselves, right? Because they would, they would be applying uh, their rule uh, with no, they were being impartial in applying it. They were not uh, being discriminatory. So if one of these khawarij, he would miss a salah, or he would lie, or if he would cheat, or backbite, then his own family members would not hesitate in killing him. So they were practicing so much, and they believed that if you leave the practice, you will end up in kufr. That, you see, I was trying to give you an example of why, at a practical level, it is important that we have the correct definition. Because these are the type of things that have happened in the past, and are happening as recently as in our current times. So that was the aqidah of the, of the khawarij. So what, what do we say? What, do we, what is our dalil? We'll say that there's so many ayats in the Qur'an that prove otherwise. Um, you know, where, where, um, we'll say where in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, He says that, وَإِن طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ اِقْتَتَلُوا If there are two groups of the mu'mineen, اِقْتَتَلُوا who are warring with one another. Isn't warring with one another a crime? Yeah. And then طَائِفَتَانِ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Two groups of the mu'mineen are battling. فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا You should reconcile between them. فَإِنْ بَغَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَا عَلَى الْأُخْرَى If one of them persists in doing ظُلْمَ on the other, فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبْغِي Then fight against the oppressors. حَتَّى تَفِيَ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ Until they come back to the order of Allah. فَإِنْ فَاءَتْ فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَهُمَا بِالْعَدْلِ Reconcile between them in a just manner. وَأَصْلِحُوا إِنَّ اللَّهِ يُحِبُّ الْمُقْسِتِينَ Allah loves those who are just. So over here, despite the fact that they're fighting with one another, Allah Ta'ala is calling them mu'mineen. And how dare you say a person who committed a sin is a, is a kafir. This is one example of a dalil against the khawarij. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, give us the correct understanding of Iman and protect us from falling into ifrat and tafrit, falling into the different excesses. You have these people who were so extreme that uh, the khawarij are saying, hey, you make any sin, you're out of the fold of Islam. And then you have on the opposite extreme the murji'iyah. I'll just conclude with this, just so, so to balance it off, because we heard about the khawarij. Maybe I'll finish with the murji'iyah. The murji'iyah on the other side are similar to like the Christians of today. The Christians of today, they say, yeah, you know, you can sin, go ahead sinning, as long as you believe that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. He sent Him to the earth to die as a Savior. He took upon Himself all the sins of humanity. So whoever believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, then they are saved. Your salvation. So the whole da'wah and belief and aqidah of the Christians is on believing in Jesus Christ as the Savior. And obviously it's a good idea not to commit sins. But otherwise, you know, no matter how many sins you do, it really doesn't make a difference. Why? 
Because you don't have to face the consequences of your sins. Why? Because Jesus Christ, He took all the sins upon Himself and He died on the cross. He's your Savior, right? So He took all the sins. The, all, whereas our Quran, our Kalam of Allah says, وَلَا تَزِرُوا وَازِرَةٌ وَزِرُوا No soul shall bear the burden of the sin of anyone else. Why are you going to transfer your sins? You know, onto, uh, onto Isa alayhi salam. That's, the transfer of the sins unto him is wrong. The fact that he's the son of God is another, obviously, major mistake there. But, and then, and then, yeah, and then he died. The whole aqidah from beginning to end is completely absurd, nonsense. So, so their, their aqidah is pretty much, you know, go ahead, you know, if you, if, if being good is great, but committing sins is not a really a big problem. Because the Savior died for you, remember? Now, uh, <laughs> the Murdiya says the same thing. Um, there's not much need for amal. The reason is, the reality of Iman is just the tasdiq. As long as you believe. You know where we're going with this? We're going through the crazy, ghali, ghulu, extreme pseudo-Sufis. Batil Sufis, deviant Sufis. So over here we have, that's what, they're not the true Sufis. Sufi is a good term, it's a, but it's a, it, it gets a lot of uh, black and negative press uh, coverage because of the Batil ones, the deviant ones. And they are real ones too. So these guys, they just say, hey, you got to believe in your heart. If you pray, it's good. You don't pray, it's okay. As long as you have Medina in your heart. Um, So, and they say that, look, if a person has kufr, along with his kufr, all the good deeds he does, does it help him? No, because he has kufr. All the amal that a kafir does, along with his kufr, have no value. Likewise, if a person has iman, then all the sins he may commit have no harm. Uh, any ma'asiyah and disobedience, along with your iman, it will not harm you. Just like all the good deeds in the world along with kufr will not benefit you. Um, so no matter how many sins a person commits, it's not going to harm his iman in the least. And his iman will remain fresh and strong. Um, so all amal are love and just extra, not important. How do they prove this from the Quran? That's what Allah Ta'ala says, يُضِلُّ بِهِ Kathira. Many people are misguided through the book. Many people are guided through the book. See, these are deviant sects within Islam because they're claiming to follow the Quran. Remember. Then there are those who say, I don't believe in the Quran Sunnah from the get go. Atheist or Yehud or Nasara, Mushrikun. We're not talking about them. These are deviant Muslim sects. So the Murjiyah, they say, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Whoever believes in his Lord, he doesn't have to be afraid of any oppression, zulm, any good deeds, any taken away from him, or any sins added to his account, he is safe. All he do, needs to do is what? Believe. Um, then you have, لا يصلاها إلا الأشقى الذي كذب وتولى. No one will enter the Jahannam except for Ashqa, the wretched one, Badbakht, wretched. الذي كذب, the one who disbelieves. كذب. So if you disbelieve, you enter Jahannam. And if you're a believer, no matter what sins you do, you're okay, you're good to go. Um, and then likewise, another ayah of Surah Mul, Kullama ulqiya fiha fujun, whenever a group will be entered into the fire, sa'alahum khazanatuha, the guards of Jahannam will ask them, alam ya'atikum nadir, 
Did not a warner come to you? قَالُوا بَلَا قَدْ جَاءَنَا نَذِيرٍ They'll say, yes, warners did come. فَكَذَّبْنَا We rejected them. وَقُلْنَا مَا نَزَّلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ We said, Allah has not revealed anything. إِنْ أَنْتُمِ اللَّهِ ضِلَالٍ كَبِيرٍ And you are all, you're all lying, you're lost. So basically, only if you are complete kafir, you're unto Jahannam. And as long as you believe, no matter what your actions are, you are safe. Right? Now, um, what's, the, what's the response to all of these ayat? Uh, is that these ayat in which Allah Ta'ala is saying that the one who has iman will not enter Jannah, Allah is talking about khulud finnar, eternity in fire. That they will never remain in Jahannam forever. But when, when Allah, Allah Ta'ala is talking about people who have iman but were committing sins entering the fire, it's in the Quran itself. For example, uh, Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَأْكُنُونَ أَمْوَالِ الْيَتَامَ ظُلْمًا those who wrongfully are stealing the wealth of orphans. That's a, that's a sin. They are consuming, they think the mal of the yatim, the wealth of the orphan, they are actually consuming in their bellies, not on fire. They will enter the fire. So what do we see from this ayah? Entering the fire based on a sin. Even though they did not have takdeeb, they weren't kafir. They were doing sins entering the fire. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, Those are hoarding the gold and silver. They're not spending in the path of Allah. They will have a dreadful torment. So in this ayah, there's a more detail that comes after that about the adab for not discharging the zakat. So the tawbah. It's a long detail about that ayah. Again, Surah Haqqa, Allah, the Jahannam, they will be asked, why, why are you in the fire of Jahannam? Why are you here? Subhanallah. Uh, Subhanallah. This ayat goes on. Then he's saying, Why are you here? They will say, We are here because we did not perform salah. We did not feed the, the miskin. So we did not discharge our zakat, we did not pay our salah, therefore we are in Jahannam. So all of these ayats prove that due to lack of amal, a person will enter Jahannam. So this is in refutation of the Murji'iyah. The Murji'iyah is saying, hey, you just have to have tazik, don't worry about amal. The Khawarij on their hand are saying, if you make any mistake, you're out of the fold of Islam. Where do we lie? Al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah the, Our Aqeedah, the correct Aqeedah I think that's a better ending point to remind us I have said this last time as well repeat, Or even this time, but I'll repeat it once again We say the reality of Iman is tasdeeq to believe And with respect to worldly injunctions You have to have iqrar with the tongue testify And Amal are necessary Amal is necessary to protect oneself from ever entering Jahannam And uh, necessary to draw the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Necessary for perfecting one's iman So it's right in the middle you do, um, Can a person enter Jannah uh, With deficiency in his amal? Yes Will a person be condemned for eternity in Jahannam uh, with, Because of a deficiency in amal? No So do we need to work on amal? Absolutely can, if somebody makes a mistake in Islam, are we going to expel him from the fall of Islam? No. Uh, are we going to say it's not important, you just need to believe? No. 
So that's exactly where we are in the middle. And that is the aqidah of Al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. So it's very, very, very important to understand that. I hope I was able to shed some light on this important topic. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the reality of Iman and allow us to go beyond just understanding this concept to having the reality of it uh, and to die with on Iman. وآخر دعوانا الحمد لله رب العالمين سبحان الله بحمده سبحانك اللهم الحمد لك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك